Hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of this week for the Right Way program. Uh, this, again, the guest today is going to be somewhat special, I haven't had on before, uh, in that it is a film director, a filmmaker, delightful, talented fellow called Tom Danger. He's going to be talking to me about his second film, uh, the follow-up to his directorial debut, which was a horror movie called Leave Me Astray. Tom is talking to me today about his second film, completely different genre to horror, uh, called Sweet Hurt. So please give a big digital round of applause to Tom Danger, filmmaker extraordinaire, discussing his second film with me, Sweet Hurt. Tom Danger, thank you so much for joining the Right Way podcast program. How are you doing today, man? I am very well, thank you, Sam. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Very, very, very good. Life's there to be enjoyed. Um, Got a lot of questions for you, so let's get started. I wanted to talk first and foremost about the change of genre, because it's a pretty big, pretty big change from, obviously, your directorial debut, the awesome Lead Me Astray, which was a, largely of the horror genre, to coming to Sweetheart, which is um, somewhat styled as a coming-of-age sort of kind of comedy. What was the... What that prompted that? Well, uh, when I made Lead Me Astray, I was in university and horror has always been where my heart is. If you can see a gigantic Jason Voorhees behind me, he's always looking it. over my shoulder. <laughs> um, the reason why I kind of made the switch is when I made Lead Me Astray, it was very much a film born of my resources at the time. Yep. And I've always been very much a child of that Robert Rodriguez school of thinking where when he made El Mariachi, he made it for like $7,000. And he was like, what do I have? I've got a bus. I've got a turtle. You know, I, I can use all these things inside this film. And he basically wrote the script around what he thought he could use. Mm. And when I made Lead Me Astray, I was like, all right, what can I do? And because I've always been hugely influenced by filmmakers like John Carpenter, I really wanted to make this like 80s style, heavy synth kind of soundtrack movie because that's where my heart has always been. And down the road from where I lived, there was an abandoned shopping center. And I was like, I could have the third act of my film take place inside there. I've already got access to it. Take a page out of Robert Rodriguez's book. Um, suffice to say, that didn't actually work out. I tried for months to you know, get permission to film in there uh, from the council, but they were just horrifically unhelpful of course and i ended up making a change the entire third act was rewritten to take place instead of a shopping center took place inside an abandoned prison which right. is way cooler anyway and i don't know how i managed that but there was one in Parramatta. um so even then the like the you know similarities to escape from new york became even more apparent um but you know when i was growing up watching these movies by john carpenter and like Wes Craven and George Romero. Like I, I was very much like my first movie is definitely going to be this like low budget horror because all of my favorite directors started out like that because like George Romero started with Night of the Living Dead, Wes Craven had Last House on the Left, uh, John Carpenter started with Dark Star, which you know isn't really a horror but it's you know very heavily you know sci-fi and genre. So there was no question about whether or not my first movie would be a horror movie, but when it came to kind of following it up. Um, one of my biggest influences is who is also my brother and he was a filmmaker as well uh, unfortunately he he passed away quite a few years ago um he had leukemia and it's a very tragic story sorry to get so heavy so quickly <laughs> but just before he passed away he actually managed to make a feature film and he called it sick 
and it was he was very much a student of Robert Rodriguez as well um, and his movie was just uh, the story of a group of high school friends having a party while uh, one of their parents was away and the whole movie took place over the one night all about like friends heartbreak shenanigans all the shit that you would get from uh, a you know a low budget um, indie comedy uh, and the way he he kind of built it as the Breakfast Club meets Clerks because he was also like way big into Kevin Smith and mm. I, I always have been as well um, so he kind of modeled it after that and when it came to making Sweetheart, that those kind of movies are also kind of baked into my DNA. And even mm. though I love horror and that's where my heart is, at that stage of my life, I really felt like I could make a film that was that was more in line with the movie my brother made. Um, and it had shades of like American Pie, shades of Chasing Amy, Can't Hardly Wait. Uh, those movies of like kind of the late 90s and early 2000s, which kind of shaped me just as much as all the horror movies did. So even though I've always kind of worn my love of horror on my sleeve. Those other movies have also been like really, really important to me. And as I'm sure you noticed when you watch Sweetheart, there are elements of kind of really weird, bizarre shit that happens. Absolutely. <laughs> That's just my love of my love of horror and just weird crap that kind of comes out, even when I'm making what should be kind of a simple comedy. But shades of the other shit also comes in. So if anyone was interested in watching Sweetheart, who has you know even a passing interest in the bizarre there's, there's shit in there for them as well <laughs> very much very much goat stealing satanists and all that sort mm-hmm, of thing mm-hmm. absolutely not something i've seen in a uh, you know young adult comedy before really <laughs> nor i nor i um so tom we, so that was the so that so obviously there was the kevin smith sort of influence um the mm-hmm. coming of age that you know the john hughes type uh how did you then go about so what actors did you have like a particular scene in mind or what sort of acted as the catalyst to then form this entire script because you, you you co-wrote it with a, a friend or something I like did, that i did i did my boy logan uh, mm. i ref- we refer to each other as like this is logan my hetero life mate you know that's just kind of we've got a very jane silent bob thing very going on um but logan actually played the villain in lead me astray so we've been making movies together for quite a while now there's actually like a really big romantic story about how we kind of met and it goes back to when we were about 12 where we met in drama class and we did stupid shit, did, did all the stuff you do in drama class when you're 12, have a lot of fun. Um, but you know, we both eventually parted ways because you don't stay in drama class forever. Um, and we were in different high schools and back then you didn't have, didn't even have MySpace back then. This was the good old days where that shit wasn't around. Um, and then like a decade later, um, I was trying to scrounge up some money to make Lead Me Astray. And I was like, I guess I better get a job and then I can you know, pay for things like food to feed my <laughs> actors so i was like all right better get a job and i went for a job at toys r us and i ran into this uh scruffy young man and we hit it off really well and he was like so what are you doing here i'm like oh, i was getting a job because i'm making a movie he was like no shit i'm an actor i'm like right on and his name was logan and didn't realize until like two three weeks later when we were on facebook and we were just chatting about it where we both kind of realized that we were in drama class together 10 years ago and we were like holy fuck the circle has come around it was a, it was a great moment um so i gave, obviously gave him the partner in leading astray and we had a great time working together and he made a film called remember redfield um a year or two later and i had a role in that um and that was really fun that was very much a kind of a scream slash clue kind of situation like a murder mystery 
because uh, he loves that kind of shit as well. And uh, in particular, one of the influences for that movie was this TV show called Harper's Island. Have you ever seen that? No, I have not. I have oh, not. Man. Harper's Island. It's, 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 it, kind of, it kind of fell under the radar, but I would highly recommend checking it out. It has a really excellent cast of characters. And by the end of it, you're like, oh my God, everyone's dead and I don't like it. So I will do. It's good shit. Um, but yeah, so we started just making stupid shit together in the same way that I kind of made stupid crap with my brother when I was in my teens and, you know, childhood, just uh, little, little skits and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were writing stuff together and eventually we were like, you know, we should make, we've already made two movies already. Let's like write one together. Our powers combined, you know, it's like the Zord and Power Rangers, all of the things come together and it creates a creature that's too big to destroy um, so we were like, well, what kind of movie do we want to make? And we're like, well, we're both, we're both funny. We're both funny guys. Let's make a comedy. And when we just kind of decided to make a comedy, it just became apparent instantly the kind of comedy we would make and that it would be, you know, heavily influenced by the movies of like Kevin Smith and all those other nineties comedies that we both really loved. And we're like, well, that's easy to do because we're both very close to that. Um, because a lot of our friends, at the time, you know, were actors and we knew a lot of people who were around the right age to make that kind of young adult comedy. Um, so all, all the stars just seemed to align. And uh, so we started writing it in uh, November of 2017, uh, when we had a first draft done within about a month mm, and wow. refined it, refined it. And uh, we had a table read for the, one of those drafts early 2018 um, with the, the cast that we had in mind. That went through a few changes over the next few months. Then we started shooting in May, May that year. So it came together pretty quickly, mm. um, but it was a wonderful experience. And, you know, Logan and I always have a great time together. And every day on set was just a big, big old sleepover between friends. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <All late nights. laughs> well, it's interesting to hear that um, it was a lovely experience because most vast majority, particularly uh, with features and when you're starting out, I guess is more of a torturous kind of exercise and to... The limits yeah, of human that, endurance. I don't know, man. Like, I don't get that. If you're not having fun, then you kind of you must be in the wrong industry. Like, yeah, of course it's hard, and there are really long nights, and there are times when things go wrong. But hell, man, it's like it's you get to, it's like when you're a kid, you get out all your action figures and you're just playing with toys. That's literally what it's like as an adult because you're just taking all the shit you like, putting it together. You're hanging out with everyone who's you know very much like-minded and. You're doing shit to make other people laugh. And at least, at least when, when it comes to a comedy, you know, you're trying to make the audience laugh. And so if you yourself are not laughing on set, then you must be doing something wrong. And we were always laughing, always having a great time, pulling pranks on each other and shit. It's good. <laughs> Man, good. So just so you and Logan by this time had, both of you had had one feature directorial under your um, belt. So, I mean... What sort of because there's naturally, there's naturally going to be a large amount of um, pressure. Never mind that you the, the fact that you've kind of done a completely different genre. But did you have did you feel much pressure in that regard, Tom, or did you not find that uh, too much troublesome? Not really, because lead me astray. I made for a budget of about ten thousand dollars. It goes a little higher than that when you take into account, you know, the money I spent submitting it to festivals and like yeah. a few other expenses cool. there. But the the number I come to is like ten thousand. So even though it's a that's a lot of money to like a kid in university, it's not a huge amount of money. So even making lead me astray, I didn't feel a huge amount of pressure because I was like, look, if nothing else, I'm getting a lot of experience and I'm learning a lot from just doing it. Mm. And I, I maintain that 
I'm happy I went to university, but I wouldn't have been happy if I didn't make Lead Me Astray because it was only because I was at university that I had the resources to make it because I kind of took all the equipment from the university and that allowed me to make it. If I hadn't taken the initiative to do so, I don't think I would have gotten much out of going to university because most of the valuable things that I learned, I only learned from making that flick. Um, and when it came to Sweetheart, I guess I, I had that same kind of outlook in the sense that, look, now at least I'm splitting the budget with someone else because Logan and I you know, pretty much went in 50-50 and we did decide, you know what, this we're going to go all out and we got a really good DOP, um, Shane Cavano, who I'd worked with before on one or two features um, and you know, he made music videos that I directed and he's just a professional, just full stop. He's so good. Really fun guy too. We had a lot of fun hanging out with Shane. Um, but what I meant the most was the fact that he could do everything that we wanted to do and make a movie that actually looked like a movie. I feel mm. like, you know, when you're in high school, when you're in university, you just, you're chasing that dream of like, man, I just want to, I want to make something that just looks like a movie. Because, you know, going back to when I was like eight, I had this like, you know, shitty little camcorder that my, that my brother and I would use. And, you know, we're editing it on Windows Movie Maker and shit. And that transition from working on those little tiny things on little tapes to eventually getting to a point where I was shooting with, you know, a really good director of photography using a red Gemini. And I was like, man, look, look how far I've come. I'm still making really stupid shit, but hell, it's, it looks good now. <laughs> and, you know, we got um, a really good sound guy because, you know, I learned from Lead Me Astray that, man, if you don't have good sound, you don't have a good movie and that's just full stop. There's no question there. So rather than kind of um, cutting corners, we decided instead of doing that, we're actually going to put in the effort and put in the money to make sure the end product looks as professional as humanly possible with our limited budget, you know? Um, but, you know, we managed to kind of get in touch and find people who are on the same wave wavelength as we were. And you can kind of tell when, you know, you put on, you put out ads on like Facebook or whatever um, on those groups, you know, Australia, I need crew or whatever. And you're like, mm -hmm. Hey, my name's this. I'm looking for someone who can do this. It's this kind of project, you know, email me this, this with your rates. But then at the end, we always put something like, also tell us your favorite Power Ranger. And then with the emails we get, there'll be like 80% who don't mention Power Rangers and the 20% who do. And those are the people we want to do business yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because A, we just feel like we can connect with them on a, on a human level. Um, and if they just ignore that kind of thing, we're like, well, maybe they're not so fun. Uh, that's just, it's just our way of kind of, you know, not sorting through everyone. That's fair enough. It's, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of dumb, but it's, it's, it is weirdly a very good way to make sure that people who you actually get you know, into business with, um, they kind of share your, um, you know, maybe your sense of humor and your sense of mentality and just use your attitude. I mean, if you have a crew of people who kind of share your attitude, then you will have that good set experience. If you get people who are kind of all over the place, you know, maybe it'll be less, maybe it'll be less fun, but that's just how I've, I found it. No, I get that. I get that. That's a good screening process. Cause I think that you're going to be around each other for 16, 18, 20 hours a day. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to make sure that you vibe. Um, and luckily we, did end up with a crew that we did vibe really heavily and you know look, looking forward with other projects that you know we will eventually move forward with I want to surround myself with those exact same people like and I have people ask me like hey man who did you use for sound I'm like I use Simon he's fucking great use yeah. him I'll give him your number you know and it's a good it's a good feeling when that happens
Good. So in terms of the production, so it sounds in a lot of ways, it was easier in that obviously now that you kind of, you, you, you and Logan are working together, you say you, you sort of split the budget down the middle. Did you find that overall it was a bit easier, Tom, in terms of because you, you've done it once now and you've made some connections and you kind of know through trial and error, maybe you've led me astray that the whole process of Sweetheart was a bit easier? Was the production crew, was the experience more different or different at all? Or Absolutely. Um, when we shot Lead Me Astray, pretty much the you know sound guy was whoever was free in the room who was available to hold the boom pole. Um, and through the process of editing that film, I realized that that's simply not good enough. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still very proud of Lead Me Astray, but I can watch it now and be like, hmm, if I could go back, I would change this and I would mm. do this differently. Um, but, you know, it's a product of its time and it's a product, sure. product of my inexperience. I'm still very proud of it. But going into Sweetheart, I was like, all those things that I kind of dropped the ball with the first time, I'm not going to do this time. Um, and that's why I decided to you know, hire someone like Shane, because like I shot Lead Me Astray myself, but I don't bill myself as a director of photography. Like, that's mm. not really my jam. Um, I, I like doing it and I can do it, but something I've always thought is that if you want to make a movie, the kind of secret is to surround yourself with people who are much more talented than you are. And Shane is much more talented than I am as a director of photography. So I was like, great, I'll get him. When it came to recording sound, I was like, I'll get this guy, Simon. We vibe really well. He has everything we need and he can do everything we need him to do. Great, I'll grab him. Um, even when it came to like um, actors and auditioning people, because this, because Sweetheart has... Uh, somewhat of an ensemble cast. There's like mm. eight eight main characters. I mean, it's more focused on um, some more than others, but you know, it it features you know a cast that's kind of spread pretty ev evenly and pretty heavily throughout the movie. Mm. Uh, whereas Lead Me Astray is pretty much like a three man show kind of deal. Um, so when it came to choosing the people we wanted to work with, we were like, all right, we need people who can kind of reach this level of you know emotional maturity and reach this level of comedic sensibility and all that kind of thing. And we did, you know, write the film with certain people in mind and we got some of those people and it worked out. Uh, we had to change it up, you know, during casting for some other people because like the project evolved a little bit and we were like, oh, maybe we want to go in this kind of direction. Uh, I look back on like the first draft of Sweetheart and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is so different from what actually ended up happening. Um, you know, they always say a movie's made three times, you know, once when you write it, once when you film it, and once when you once edit you it. And it, I never yeah. really knew how true that was until I made this movie. Because Lead Me Astray was very much like what was on the page is what ended up on the screen. Uh, and Sweetheart's a little different. Um, but I pretty much took every mistake that I made on Lead Me Astray and I made sure I didn't repeat it on Sweetheart. You know, I made sure we had... You know, I, I made sure that we had food that wasn't Domino's pizza because, you know, one of my actresses, Alana from Lead Me Astray, who was also in Sweetheart, she hasn't eaten Domino's in like six years and that's my fault. Oh, because of that, right, so yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, but you know what? It's cheap and it feeds people. Yeah. So don't blame me, Alana. <laughs> Not this time, though. Not this time. Nice, man. Nice. So, but that, that in itself, so it sounds like obviously Lead Me Astray was... Um, as you said, it was of its time and uh, mostly what was written on the page translated directly to what was on screen. I wanted to talk a little bit about the unique uh, challenges and hurdles you faced with this particular production, because even just by what you were saying then, like, um, and you're right. I mean, like it is even from me uh, watching it, there's, you know, there's seven or eight um, 
main characters and you know the, the corralling of, of them into speaking roles and ensuring some somewhat even sort of divvying of screen time so talking about unique challenges that you face with this particular production was was that one of them was it did you find that because obviously even just by virtue of the amount of people in it that that's that's quite a large larger amount to do what what sort of things did you face with the production this honestly time? regarding the uh, the larger cast it actually kind of made it easier in terms of scheduling because okay. like, hear me hear me out so you got like x amount of main characters but those main characters will only have x amount of shooting days and when we're trying to schedule it and you know finding out when people were available to shoot and when they weren't we were able to kind of chop it up into little blocks and we were right. like all right so these characters spend most of their time together we'll shoot all of their stuff in this little block when the other people aren't available and so if we had a cast that was in every single scene it would have made it, I think, exponentially more difficult trying to get everyone there at the same time. Yeah. There were, you know, definitely some shoots where pretty much all of our main characters are there. And, you know, that was really fun, but it was difficult to schedule. So by kind of breaking it up, um, it did make it easier on us um, just, you know, pragmatically to try and get everything done. Because, you know, for the first month, uh, my boy Rav, who plays Jacob, he's pretty much the lead role. Yep. He wasn't really around. So we're like, all right, so for the first like week or two, we'll focus on the stuff with Sky and Carly because they have very few scenes um, involving Jacob. And then, you know, there'll be a bit of an overlap and we'll finish up those stuff and then we'll head into the other characters and stuff. So it just, it honestly made it a very kind of smooth process, just kind of jumping from one set of characters to the others. And then when we did need them all together, we, we found a way to do that as well. The, the problems that we faced to that um, filming, a lot of it was stuff that was external that affected us. Mm. And let me give you an example. So Shane is a guy who not only is he a director of photography, but he also has like a bunch of his own equipment that he uses on shoots. But you know, in order to make a little more money, he also rents out some of his equipment. Sure, of course. It's very smart. He literally just gives people his stuff. They give him money. He does nothing and he makes money. He's a mm. he's financial genius. I'll tell you what. Um, so there was another feature that was being shot uh, around that time uh, made by these uh, filmmakers from Nepal. I have no idea what the project really was. But um, apparently Shane had reached an agreement with these guys, but they kept changing their shooting dates. They were actually supposed to shoot well before Sweetheart was in uh, principal photography. Um, and we were about halfway through shooting and these guys reared their, their heads and were like, Shane, we need those lenses. And Shane's like, ooh, I kind of, I'm using them right now. I've yeah. got this feature I'm shooting. You guys kept changing your mind. So I, I, I went where the work was and they were like, well, you know what? We had an agreement, so you better hand over the lenses. And Shane was like, ah, damn it. So these guys from Nepal who I had no idea existed just poached my lenses like a, two days before we had another shoot. And I was like, son of a bitch, who do these guys think they are? Not only did they steal Shane's lenses, they also stole Tarson, my first my, my uh, first AC, who was helping out Shane and all the shit. They took him too. Oh, really? I was, like, oh. I was taking all my stuff, my lenses, my first AC, son of a bitch. So Shane gives me a call. I remember I was in my lounge room at the time. I was with my friend Jenny. She was uh, visiting from America. She was helping us out on shoots. And I answered the phone. And whenever she tells the story, she's like, Tom answered the phone and he sat in silence about three minutes as he listened to Shane. And by the end of it, he just said, well, I'll tell you, Shane, I'm not too happy about that. <laughs> and Shane was telling me about you know, the whole story. And he was like, so essentially we don't have lenses. And I was like, well, that's, 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 that's pretty bad. Can't shoot without lenses. So I started talking to Logan and we're like, oh, what do we do? We either have to maybe 
find other lenses of the exact same quality. Otherwise, mm. it's going to be kind of a noticeable difference in you know the, the look of the film. Or we kind of reschedule because they needed the lenses for two weeks. And pushing it for two weeks, we were like, oh man, that really screws mm. up everything. Our perfectly planned schedule. Look at look how they've massacred my boy. So it was really it was really upsetting. And uh, we're like, all right, I guess we just have to bite the bullet and uh, rent some, you know, quality lenses. Uh, and so we were talking to Shane and he was like, I can get lenses from this store. I can pick them up tomorrow. It'll cost this much. And we were like, God damn it. So we had to drop an extra $2,500 to rent something that we already oh. had and was just stolen by people from Nepal. Nothing against the people from Nepal. I just, I got a chip on my shoulder now. <laughs> But I hope I hope their shoot went well. And after and then after the two weeks were up, we got Tarson back, and we were like, Tarson, welcome back. He was like, it was horrible. It wasn't fun like this set. <laughs> wow. So, you, but you may you may do you may do so. so yeah, we may do. It cost us a bit of extra money, and we were trying to be really you know frugal with how we spent the budget. But this was something where you know you know what if we don't spend the money, we can't shoot. So yeah. we just have to spend the money. Um, that was probably the biggest kind of roadblock, but even that was solved pretty easily. It was just a matter of swallowing like any amount of pride we had and being like, oh damn it, now we're gonna spend even more money. Look at the budget, look at my schedule, I know. But you know, we, you just have to do what you have to do. Um, and if that involves dropping an extra two and a half grand on equipment that you thought you already have, that's just the way it has to be. <laughs> Where did you... Um shoot tom because there, look, there was, looks like to be a lot of different locations i mean somewhere look remotely coastal another place i suspected was canberra where did you did you shoot in a lot of no, different we, places uh, we ne never shot in canberra but we did have quite a variety of different locations yep. uh so one of the reasons uh we like those movies from the 90s a lot of them have kind of that uh road trip kind of feel like you got movies mm. like uh, well like road trip and euro trip and other movies that i'm sure end the trip but, you know, like American, American Pie 2 is a really good example how, you know, they start off where the first movie happened and then they go on their road trip, they find the beach house, it's a whole new location, other shit happens. So we really did want that kind of vibe um, to the point where the movie is about, you know, a group of characters who go on a trip and end up at a house um, that's, you know, near a beach kind of deal. So that's pretty much taken directly from American Pie. But we really wanted to take advantage of the fact that um, the stories were all kind of splitting off into their own little things and mm. by proxy that meant like different locations and we were like cool we can really take advantage of the fact that there are a bunch of different locations um, and when you're making independent films there's kind of a rule an unspoken rule that you should try to keep it to as few locations yes. as possible That's what I, was, I don't yeah. really I don't really agree with that because if you want your film to look dynamic and want it to look cool and want it to look like you had a larger budget than you actually did make it look like it had production value mm. you should at least invest in some interesting looking um, locations and sets and a lot of those places don't cost anything like there's one scene where um, Jacob and Olivia are just kind of walking uh, along kind of a wharf kind of deal next to the water mm. um took you know a night to get out there and you know to shoot it and to get back and it only takes about 20 seconds of screen time but little things like that trick the audience into thinking the film is bigger than it actually is um and i love movies that are kind of set in the one spot i mean if you just look at clerks the entire movie takes place inside the convenience store um, and then there's something like cube you know which is just set in a cube and you know when they move from one cube into another cube it's the same cube just with different colors like that's mm. so smart um, but that's the thing like they trick the audience into thinking the movie is bigger than it actually is um, and if that means using a few different locations then you should just go ahead and do it and some of the locations we got i really liked filming in like there's the scene where 
um, Sky and Carly are having um, a confrontation and they leave the bar they're in and they're in this long hallway mm. and there's like blue and red lights. And that's at a cinema on the central coast um, called Cinema Paradiso. And it's in Edelong and it's this beautiful old cinema. Um, it has, it kind of looks like something from Italy. Like, I don't know why it's there. It's just, it's just this wonderful little cinema. And I've always wanted to shoot there. And I was like, man, I'd really love to have that scene in that hallway with the blue and red lights. They have the, like Carly's wearing a red dress, uh, Sky's wearing a blue dress. It just looked very good. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just because the location is so unique. And Shane told me when we got to the set, he was like, I'm really glad you guys are actually choosing locations that are interesting to shoot in. And that was something we also learned from making Vigme Stray and making Redfield because there's something that happens in a lot of low budget movies and I've ended up calling it white wall syndrome when you just end up shooting in houses and rooms and mm-hmm. I don't have anything on the walls. I don't have anything like in terms of like set design or dressing. It just looks like you just showed up at some guy's apartment and shot. And honestly, that's usually what happens. And we really, really wanted to avoid that in this movie because it's the hallmark of a low budget movie that there's no set design, there's no production value or anything. So by, you know, focusing on a few of these locations, you just bypass that problem entirely. And the main house we shot in was a, was a house we found on Airbnb. Um, you know, spacious, really nice, has a backyard, has a kitchen, lounge room, has everything we need, but it also looked like a home and looked like a house. And it doesn't have white wall syndrome because there are pictures on the walls and there's furniture mm. in there and there's things you can look at and there's depth and there's, you know, all that kind of stuff to make it look like it's not shot at some guy's house over a weekend. It makes it look like it's a movie you're watching and not a student project, which is something I've been running away from for a long time. Just trying to make stuff that doesn't look like a student project. <laughs> yeah, look, you definitely talked about the golden rule of uh, for uh, low budget features where you're supposed to only have a couple of locations and uh, to your credit, yeah, I definitely picked up on that Tom. It didn't look like that at all. Uh, I was kind of keeping an eye out for that and I, I having worked on a couple myself, I know certainly that kind of aesthetic that you can mm. unintentionally um, just by yeah, frugality or just destitution, not being able to afford any difference. So yeah. no, no, you did, you did that well, man. Let's keep talking about these, these breaking or the subverting of the golden rules, because there's another one uh, that goes right back to the old school Hollywood of never work. I know with exactly kids. what we're about to say. <laughs> never work with kids say, and never work, work with animals. Kids or animals. Yes. There it is. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yes, Winston the goat. I forget who what you did credit him uh, or her in the the real the real goat's called uh, Ralphie. Um, Ralphie, but, you know, Ralphie. We're known forevermore as Winston in my mind and heart. Tell me, tell me, tell me about this this experience of working with animals because yes, I did immediately think of that as soon as because because that uh, Ralphie slash Winston definitely featured very heavily as a focal point throughout the movie. So yeah, well. Um, in Lead Me Astray, I actually broke the rule a bunch as well. Um, there's a huge section of Lead Me Astray that kind of harkens back to the main character's childhood. So I had to work with a kid pretty heavily uh, in that movie as well. And not so much with the animals, but there was a scene with a dog um, in Lead Me Astray. So even in the first movie I ever made, I'd already broken that rule. And I was like, oh, whoops. But it worked out fine for me because Addie, who played um, the young version of Jace Picard's character, Alexis, it's a wonderful little actor and really fun to work with. And weirdly, I've always just found myself just really okay with working with kids. Like the job I've had for the last few years is um, at Luna Park. I work in the rides department. I've oh, awesome. Super- yeah, supervising and running the, helping run the rides department. Um, and, you know, just it brings me into contact with a lot of kids. And 
before I, um, uh, sorry, just shortly after I shot Lead Me Astray, I worked as a camp counselor uh, in New York. Um, you wow. know, okay. I really wanted to have that, you know, American summer experience, you know, like, you know, in classic movies like Red Hot American Summer or Friday the 13th, you know, <laughs> fun times. <laughs> um, and I did, and I had that uh, awesome experience, you know, hanging around kids there as well. So I don't know, just, just because I'm a very immature person, you know, I just, I, hanging around with kids, I always just have fun, you know, always joking around. And I don't, I have more fun with kids than I do with adults because adults are usually very serious and we have to do this and that. And kids are like, let's play Smash Brothers. I'm like, hell yeah. So, you know, had a lot of fun with Addy on Lead Me Astray. And for this movie, I was like, I'll double down and fill a classroom for the kids in the first scene. That's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was really fun, uh, getting a bunch of kids who were okay. Um, you know, and there's, there's a whole thing, process you have to go through, talking to their parents and making sure the environment they'll be shooting in is safe mm. and fun. And, you know, no one's doing anything that they don't want to do. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had a working with children check for ages uh, because mm. of, you know, my job. So, you know, I was able to, you know, talk to the parents and be like, this is the kind of film we're making. Um, this is the scene uh, in which the kids are involved. Um, so everyone who came on board was, you know, totally cool. Um, had a lot of fun that day. It was actually the last scene we shot. Oh, because really? okay. um, we just like every everything else in the film was pretty much constrained to the cast that right. you know we had already amassed, and we were like, "Ooh, the the classroom scene is a bit of a it's a bit of a big thing. Um, maybe let's just wait for that later." So we shot that actually a few months after we kind of wrapped principal photography. Um, so yeah, you know that was fun, and you know didn't really have any problems uh, and we gave some of the kids line we on set you know, on the day we gave every single kid who was there a line and just in editing we had to you know cut a few of them because that's just the nature of editing mm. um, but you know like some of the kids are swearing and you know they're throwing stuff at Rav and it's super funny so the kids all had a good time because like who doesn't want to throw stuff at an actor he's just like all right guys your job now take all the stationery on your desk and throw it at that man and they're <laughs> like I got you I'm all over it uh, <laughs> so that was fun uh but you know shooting with uh ralphie the goat you know i just decided to go all in you know not only will i shoot with kids i'm gonna feature a main character who happens to be a farmyard animal so we had a uh, we had an audition process for the goat oh, really okay. went, around to a, went around to a bunch of different farms and looked at goats to decide this was no fucking dog and pony show this was a this was a goat goat show yeah, man. And uh, we ended up going with um, Ralphie. He came from this petting zoo called Sweet Valley Baby Animals. And we were like, well, hot damn, does that just sound wholesome? And because uh, Ralphie was from a petting zoo, he was very used to being handled and like touched by, you know, kids because they went to like parties and stuff like that. Um, so he was very, very ready for camera, weirdly. <laughs> very okay with uh, direction whatever we needed him to do he just kind of did it it was honestly really really weird that's amazing uh, you know he would kind of shit everywhere that was kind <laughs> of annoying but you know <laughs> the main thing being uh so simon our sound guy would put down this large rug you know if characters are walking around on a hardwood floor they also it kind of echoes if they're wearing yep. a certain kind of shoe putting down a rug eliminates that makes life easier for the sound guy and the sound mixer so Ralphie just decides to shit all over this rug every possible um, chance he had. So that was really funny. Um, but we tried to do that thing where we, we took most of his scenes and shot them pretty much in the same day. So oh, really? okay. even though Ralphie is spread throughout most yeah. of the movie, uh, you'll notice that whenever a character is holding him, 
we pretty much shot that shot separate to the rest of the scene. So there's that scene with, um, uh, you know, uh, Max Cameron has brought Winston into the house and he's mm. sitting down with uh, um, Abby and Drew. Pretty much any scene with any any shot that directly has Winston in it, even if he's like, you know, in the foreground, a bit out of focus, we needed him for that. But any shot that didn't require him to be in it, we shot it another time. So we basically had Winston for this entire day and shot all the shots like that. Um, it was kind of complicated, but I planned out each of the scenes pretty meticulously to make sure we had everything we needed in terms of coverage. And then when we, in some of some senses, we had already shot half of the scene without Winston, and then we were mm. shooting the rest of it. And in some scenes, we were shooting the most of it with Winston, and then later on, we'd have to fill in the gaps yeah. without him. Treat it. Okay. Um, and there were one or two days where we had him um, elsewhere, like, for example, when... Uh, <laughs> When, when, when Max first saves him from the Satanists and then like has him in the car, like that was done on one night. Most of the stuff like that takes place during the day was all shot in one day. Um, and that was pretty much it. So Ralph, who was really only around for like two days. Um, and then wow, okay. we had to go and get a pickup shot at one point because there was a, the party scene was a, the montage. It shows everyone having a really good time at the party. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was like six months after principal photography. We were well into editing and we were like, ooh, you know what this party really needs? It needs Winston because we need to remind the audience that he's still there and he's still mm. around. He's still part of the action. And, but by that point, Ralphie was grown. Like he would- Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Very obviously wouldn't be the same, uh, you know, in terms of continuity. So we called up Sweet Valley Baby Animals again. And luckily they had another goat that was the same age as Ralphie when we were shooting and looked very, very similar. So there's one shot in the movie where it's not actually Ralphie, it's this other goat who was just an absolute nightmare to work with. Oh, he was, a, <laughs> he was okay. He was no Ralphie, I'll tell you what. One shot, he is in one shot, Sam, and it was the hardest shot of the entire goddamn shoot. To be fair, it was a pretty complicated shot. It's the scene where they're playing poker Yes. The party kind of pans across. Yeah, and, and he's, he's, kind of he's looking, looking at down party. at it. Yeah. It's honestly a fucking fantastic shot, but the one that's on screen is like the 25th one we did. Okay. Because try I'll tell you what, Sam, contrary to popular belief, it is not very easy to get a goat to play poker. <laughs> Found that out the hard way. <laughs> so that was really difficult, but we got it done in the end. Nice, man. Nice. Well, okay. Yeah, because I just, I, I just thought of that and I was wondering, like, because... Because Ralphie, obviously, um, compared to his understudy, Ralphie um, certainly seemed very docile throughout. And he was being held quite a lot. So I was like very interested to see how you did that. So what's, what's happening with it now, Tom? Because obviously you had a pretty, pretty grandiose premiere that I, I, I couldn't, pretty grand premiere that I couldn't go to. But yes, what, yes, what, we did. Um, we did it, you know, because, because of COVID, it was a little smaller than um, perhaps would have been if COVID hadn't been a thing. But hmm. it was still a pretty great evening uh, so we did that at the ritz which is a wonderful Lovely. cinema mm. and their their largest uh room is about 800 seats and mm. due to restrictions we could only fill about half of that so we had about 400 people but it's still a very good crowd and everyone who was there seemed to have a really good time and i, I look back on it fondly and looking at the photos everyone had a really good time um so i had a few people at the premiere who i invited specifically um mm. to be there like writers stuff like that you were one of them. Unfortunately, yes. you could make it, but some yes. of them could, which is nice. Uh, it's like Filming uh, was one of them, and they gave us a very friendly review. Um, I saw that. And yeah, and the writer, um, he's a wonderful guy, and he was actually at the premiere of Lead Me Astray as well. Um, 
I didn't know he was going to be there uh, that first night. Um, but he gave Lead Me Astray our first review and it was really, really positive. And it really filled me with a sense of accomplishment to know that this stranger who I, I had nothing to do with watched the film and really got something out of it. And I was like, man, that's so great. Um, so when it came to Sweetheart, uh, when I was screening that, I found, I found, I invited him specifically. I was like, man, I'd really love it if you were there as mm. well, because you know, you were so kind to Lead Me Astray. I'd love to offer you a free ticket to this. And he was like, hell yeah. Um, and at this point he's writing for Film Inc. So he went from just writing his own film blog to writing for one of Australia's leading film publications. So I was like, fuck yes, well done, sir. Um, so he gave us a really nice review as well, which is, which is great. Um, in terms of where the film is kind of going, right now we're in the midst of submitting the film to festivals everywhere, which is an arduous and yes. surprisingly expensive progress. <laughs> Um, so Film Freeway is you know, a wonderful tool for independent filmmakers everywhere. And it's very much kind of replaced without a box, which was a little bigger when I was making, when I made Lead Me Astray. But now Film Freeway has superseded without a box, like in every conceivable way. Mm. Um, and so we're focusing mostly on trying to get the film into Australian festivals because I would love to, should we get into some of these festivals, I'd love to be there and, um, you know, have the film play in festivals that are, ones that I could go to myself, we can go with, like Logan and I could go there, we could go with some of the cast, some of the crew, have some Q&A sessions. That's, mm. honestly, I would really love to do that. I'd love to kind of have a screening of the film and then have like Q&A with the filmmaker afterwards. Like I've always wanted to do that because, you know, circling back to Kevin Smith, one of his best, weirdly, because he plays Silent Bob, but he's one of the best public speakers in the world. Mm. <laughs> like he has those evenings with Kevin Smith where it's just him, you know, chilling with an audience. They ask him questions. He tells them stories. It's great. Good fun. And I'd love to do that as well. Um, but, you know, getting into a few international ones would be really good. And Lead Me Astray got into not too many, but it got into enough to make me really proud that it got into any at all because it was so low budget and it was so bare bones. But with Sweetheart having, um, you know, much better production value. And it's something that I'm very, very proud of. And there's a lot, there's a lot of heart and soul that went into writing and making Sweetheart. And I'm really mm. happy with how it turned out. So hopefully um, some film festival selection committees will, will feel that way as well and allow us to be a part of it. Um, we, we also do have one or two people we're talking to regarding distribution, but... Good. Good. It's kind Good. of a it's kind of a complicated web because some distributors want to be in on the film festival thing themselves and kind of control which ones they send to and which ones they don't. And some film festivals are like, if you've screened the movie at all, we don't want to hear from you. So it's this really weird minefield you have to because having mm. had the premiere in Sydney already, which is something I was always going to do, you know, whoop, get a microphone. It was something I was always going to do, you know. Um, some of them, their requirements is like, it must be a world premiere or it must be a premiere um, and it can't have screened anywhere else beforehand. So they, they, they like having that exclusivity to it. Um, but, you know, there's nothing I can really do about that because I was always mm -hmm. going to have the premiere. That's, that, the premiere is, is, is my, my time to show the movie and have everyone clap at the end and make me feel good. So <laughs> that, I'm not giving that up. <laughs> well, you did that in style, um, I mean, with the Ritz, with the Ritz cinema. So that, that in itself, just obviously by virtue of that being in a kind of institution historic site, would yeah, be no, fantastic. No, no, it's, just, it's, it's just a good time to have like the whole cast and crew there to all be there together and watch it with an audience that's laughing and enjoying it and having a good time. That, that to me is the essence of why you make a film, to get together and watch it and you know, experience it the way everyone else would. 
Lovely, man. Lovely. So what, what's like, a, 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 is that what you're primarily focusing on now, Tom? Is, is, is the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're essentially just focusing on getting it out there. Um, and in the interim, we're still posting to our, um, to our Facebook page, just little interviews that we've shot with our cast and crew. We had a bunch of them going up weekly um, before the premiere. Um, so we, had, we were trying to get a bit of buzz going and it worked. Like a lot of people watch these videos and we're like, these guys are, these guys are funny. And we had a good time with all of our cast coming back, sitting down and talking about their experience and talking about the time making the film. And we've got a few of more of those kind of lined up because we want to have kind of a weekly upload schedule where we have um, stuff coming out on the page just to show that we're still active and still doing shit. And uh, at the same time, trying to get the film out there and have it seen by as many people as possible. That's honestly the hardest part. This this part is the part I hate the most. Making the movie is easy. Mm. Getting it, getting people to watch it, that's the hard part. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's sometimes it's a little demoralizing when you just kind of sit back and like, why does no one want to watch my fucking movie? I spent so much time, I spent so much money, but... You know, it, it's something that everyone kind of has to go through. Unless you're like a massive fucking tentpole studio where people just flock to your movie. But, you know, when you're an indie filmmaker, just getting people to care and getting people to watch it is the hardest part. But the, fir the first step is making something that you feel is good enough to be shown and good enough for people to want to see. And in that part, I feel like we've done pretty well. So we'll see how we go from here. I agree with you, man. And uh, it's it's so good to see you doing so well and, uh, you know, fighting the good fight and producing not one but two features now. And I can't wait to see what else you produce. Um, harkening back to when we were the Chance and Cow when I first think we met at um, the Newtown. I think it was the Newtown. Yeah, I think but it was the worm, Wormwood. I think it was Wormwood screening. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so long, man. You, you know, it's 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 really good to see what you're doing, Tom. And I know how difficult it is. Oh, I, albeit, I only know a very layman's. Um, I I haven't attempted it by virtue of it just being too difficult. You know, I stick to the stick to the old novel writing myself. But. Yeah, but man, but that's 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 very much the same thing. Like you're a creative as well. You know what it's like to to you know, have this project occupy your mind Absolutely. and your heart and to, like, to put it onto, whether it's the page or put it onto the screen, getting it done, feeling proud, and then trying to get people to, to hear about it and to know about it and to care about it and to experience it the way you feel like it could be experienced. Like whether you're a filmmaker or a writer or any kind of artist or creative, I feel like the, the struggle is very much the same. Um, mm. And we're all kind of in the same boat in that regard. <laughs> Yeah, but um, we'll keep going. You, you, you keep going. I'll keep going, and um, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll have every. I have yeah, every man, confidence that's... that we will get there. So, yeah, just keep being a good person and keep doing what you're doing and working with other people, and it'll you'll get there. Yeah, man, for sure. You too. I love what you're doing with the podcast, reaching out to Australian writers, people who, you know, for all intents and purposes. I, sh I shouldn't be in a podcast, but you're you're kind enough to let me do so. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's all. I'm, I'm keen as to talk to you. So yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Tom. I greatly appreciate it, man, and for letting me watch Sweetheart as well. Sam, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you as well, and I'm I'm so glad and in and proud to have been on here. Thank you, mate. So guys, that was the very cool, very talented Sydney-based filmmaker, Tom Danger, discussing his second film, Sweet Hurt. Uh, I'm going to be putting the link to the film's Facebook page as well in the episode description, so you guys can check that out as well. Um, so please, again, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Tom for chatting with me as well. He's one of the, uh, the real ones fighting the good fight there for the creatives. 
again, if you haven't already, please be sure to follow my program on Spotify. Check out all the episodes. They're all there listening to listen for your hearing pleasure. Uh, in the interim, I've still got a lot of guests, and I do stress that there is a lot coming up over the course of the next you know, few weeks and months. So stay tuned. Keep listening. Thank you for your patronage, and bless you. Have a good day.